0: I have to share with you, this message today has a lot of relevance on this day, because there's a chapter in 1 Corinthians, it's the 15th chapter, and going throughout the community was this message that... Yeah, maybe Jesus rose, could have, but no one else is going to rise again. This afterlife, you know, yeah, you can see in the Old Testament, you can see in other places, there are some chosen people who get chosen. And so Paul is counteracting this argument, and and so this is what it says. Paul writes, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. uh pin of this whole thing. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. If it's just for now, and it's not for some life after this where we're together together, Paul says we should be pitied. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take these few moments, this resurrection Sunday, and teach us about how important it is that one you were raised and, and secondly what it means for us, we pray. In Christ's name. Amen. So I kind of kind of cut to the chase of this whole argument of Paul, because you can go through all of First Corinthians fifteen and you can read it. But Paul is basically saying the whole matter of an afterlife is mere conjecture if the resurrection isn't true. The critical question is this, did Jesus rise from the dead? I love Jim Peterson's paraphrase of Paul's thought. He says, if there's no resurrection, there is no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection of Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors, and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors, not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of bare-faced lies about God. All these affidavits we pass on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications, if there's no resurrection. So as we were thinking about it, one of the reasons we showed these few clips, and in fact, it's only a, a small portion of the clips that you can find. You can go on YouTube, and, and I believe it's CVN. And it's all about the proofs of the resurrection of Christ. Really well done, an opportunity if you want to actually look at that more in detail. But people can find out the truth about the resurrection. You can do the study. You can do the historical work. In fact, a number of people throughout the years have have approached it not trying to prove it, but to actually disprove the resurrection, kind of saying, for once and for all, I'll look at the evidence, and I will find that key piece that just shows you that this could never happen. Well, we've already heard this morning, there is historical evidence supporting the resurrection, specifically with regard to the documents, thousands that support it, that are nearer the time of when the apostles lived where people could actually deny it. You can look at the reliability of the New Testament and talk even about some of the common objections, the idea that he hallucinated, or and a group of people hallucinated, or they went to the wrong tomb, or the body was stolen. There's all kinds of objections that can be easily answered if you want to do the research. And there's a great deal more evidence that supports this, women being the first witnesses, which wouldn't happen in that culture. You wouldn't want to support your story Because women were not even to be witnesses throughout many cultures when it came to legal evidence. This whole idea of the transformation of Saul, that he would, this guy who was murdering Christians would himself become a missionary for Christ. And the idea of disciples, all of them lying and and some 500 actually seeing Jesus and also holding this lie. Chuck Colson, he wrote he was Nixon's uh President Nixon's hatchet man he, and he spent time in prison due to his involvement at the Watergate uh event. He says I know the resurrection is a fact and Watergate proved it to me. How because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, then they proclaimed that truth for 4 years, never once denying it, and everyone was beaten, tortured and stoned and put in prison. They would not have suffered that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. And you're telling me 12 apostles and a whole bunch of others could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. The vast majority of scholars on the life of Jesus, including those who are entirely secular, and have no religious stake in the matter at all, agree to four facts of history. This this is across the board. First, that Jesus died on a Roman cross on a Friday and was buried in a tomb. That's a fact they agree on. Second, they agree on this fact. The tomb was empty on Sunday morning. Third, that numerous witnesses testified at great peril to themselves that they saw Jesus alive multiple times after he had died, and they had actually spent time with him and even ate with him. In the fourth fact, even the skeptic James and the mortal enemy of the Christians, Saul of Tarsus, were convinced they had seen Jesus risen from the dead and both willingly died rather than recant. James stoned and Paul beheaded. There's an author and scholar, Gregory Kuchel, in his book, The Story of Reality, he says, These four facts represent the overwhelming consensus of professional historians specializing in the life of Jesus, even skeptical ones. I'm speaking quite literally, he writes. The conclusions. The conclusion is a result of an exhaustive analysis surveying, listen to this, 1,400 academic sources published since 1975, printed in English, French, and German. Google, concludes, now among professional historians, there is a split decision on whether this empty tomb revealed a risen Christ. There's a split decision, yet most of the critics almost to a person, reject the fact that any of those natural explanations could be the explanation. And he asks this question, if most agree that natural explanations are not adequate to explain Christ's resurrection, then why not consider a supernatural explanation that makes sense of the evidence? Because good history, if you think about it, good history is what is called indirect knowledge. You do not have the ability to go back to the past event, so you don't have the direct access to the past event, so you have to do your best at building the evidence that points to a reality. So so history doesn't trade in proofs. It trades in probabilities. As you look at all the evidence, will it point to, could it point to, does it possibly show that Jesus rose from the dead? And the goal of history isn't proof, it's Probability. So every person in this room throughout this world will have to kind of look at the evidence in one sense and say, what will I put my faith in? And the best explanation of the data, says Paul, and the writers of the New Testament, is that Jesus rose from the dead. They saw him. So Paul writes, if this is true, if Jesus rose from the dead, Then he shares some important implications, and I want to share three of those with you. The first implication, he says, is that your sins are forgiven. If Jesus Christ did rise from the dead, one of the first implications he talks about, if you look at verse 17 of chapter 15, he says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. All of you who may have put faith in Christ and the cross and trusted in that, you're still in your sin. The cross, we are told, according to the word of God, according to the the, the events of that time, it was actually the payment for your sins. That's what the cross was. So the cross was saying to you in this sense that all the work that needs to be accomplished so that you can have a relationship with God and you can come into his presence and even enjoy him now through the afterlife is a result of what Jesus did, the work he did, the payment he made, and when he made that payment, it covered your sins. So that you don't have to do the work, it's now your opportunity to trust it, believe it, and realize that God's love has removed that so that you now in a grateful response to God can begin to live, not that you live a sin-free life, but you cannot, you do not allow that sin to cause the guilt and the shame that keeps you from coming to God. And so he basically says the cross is the payment, but the resurrection is the proof of purchase. It's the receipt that your sins are forgiven. That's why it's so important. Because how would you know whether that was really accepted by God as your payment if you didn't have some kind of receipt? So let's just say I was going to the store and someone handed me this bag. And of course, I'm in Lululemons. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I've got this real stretchy kind of outfit for working out. They hand me this, it's my size, everything, they say, this is yours, in fact, um, there's a receipt to prove it. Now, if I knew that to be the case, and, and now this gift was given to me, so this great exchange, this gift is mine. I don't have to walk through the store nervous that someone who works there, or some security guy comes up and says, hey, wait a second. I don't know, and I go, you know what, I'll get this to go on. Here's the receipt. That's what he says the cross does, and that's what the resurrection does. The reason the resurrection is so important is because he says that you can walk knowing that you've been forgiven by God. It's not due to your work. It's not due to how much you can please God and make him accept you. He does it through Jesus. But there's a second implication that Paul talks about. It's not only your sin forgiven, but he goes on and he says faith is it, because of the resurrection, it allows your faith to be effective. You see, your faith is only as reliable as what you are trusting in. So everybody, in the morning, I'm, I'm guessing in the morning because it's still dark. How many are getting up when it's dark? I'm just supposing. Okay. You, you probably flip a switch and you expect what to happen. The light to go on. My guess is that when you get up in the morning, you kind of get out of bed, kind of crawl out of bed. You you probably stand up, I hope, and not wonder, will the floor hold me? You actually put your faith that the floor is reliable. Now, your faith has nothing to do whether that floor is reliable or not. Your faith merely activates the opportunity for you to live a whole new life rather than going around crawling and hoping that your floor will support you You actually now enjoy being able to walk around knowing by faith that it will support you. And that's what Paul says. He says it twice. This must be so important. Verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching, what we're telling you, don't bank on it, is useless. And so is your faith in what what we're telling you. He says it in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile because of what you're believing in and what we're telling you is not reliable. But if Christ did rise from the dead, your trust is all-important. Your faith allows you to experience all all the things that God said in his word is true for you. Your faith, if Jesus did rise from the dead, doesn't make true. Truth is truth no matter what. If Jesus did rise from the dead, and that is true, then all of God's promises and all the promises that Jesus made and all that he taught can be counted on because Jesus rose from the dead. He did what he said he would do, and he not only is true to his word, but the resurrection points to the power that his word holds true for you. So, The other day, I was in New Jersey, and I um, happened, as I was going to New Jersey, to stop by a store, and I thought, for an illustration's sake, I would buy a Mega Million ticket. And uh, it happens to have all the winning numbers on it. You're not believing me. You don't have a lot of faith in me at this moment, do you? Let's just say it had all the winning numbers on it. I could look at this, and you could look at this, and you could say, well, that doesn't look like five, look like 500 million billion dollars, right? A half billion. It doesn't feel like what I'm holding is a half million, a billion dollars. But if it's true, this little ticket that you, in faith, trust and cash in, Opens up all those riches to you. It opens up not just forgiveness, whether you feel forgiven or not. It opens up everything that God says in His Word. It allows for you to begin to experience God's presence in your life, His power, His desire to walk with you through difficult times. It allows for you to invite him into your life every day, throughout every day. That he might participate in what you're doing. Which is really amazing when you think about it. Can you imagine every day saying, God, I want you to walk with me. And as I pay attention to you because this resurrection said that it unlocks all of your presence to me then I want to live in that. I want you to be with me. I want to experience that. When I face a really difficult situation, I have the opportunity, because this is true, to believe, Jesus, that you have all power, that like you said, I'm the resurrection and the dead. And when I face this situation, I can begin to pray, knowing I'm forgiven, I can be in relationship with you, and knowing that when I do that, You might actually, in a situation, touch that and transform it. Or even more than that, you might touch my own heart and give me the ability to walk through something that I have great fear about. Because of faith. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Trust is all important. The resurrection of Jesus is the winning number that releases all of God's love and power in your life. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith is now effective. And here's something I just love. The third is this. Jesus lives today. He's alive today. Jesus rose from the dead. We don't worship a dead person who claimed to be God or give us some good religious teachings. We do not worship someone who wants us to believe in a spirit of the resurrection, but we believe in someone who literally rose from the grave and defeated death. This Jesus is the first fruits of each and every one of us because of his life and his work that we will all someday not only live with him now, but forever because he's alive. And he continues to make himself known to people even today. He still appears to people. I was thinking about that. He still appears to people. This past February, on the twentieth of the month, I received this news flash e-letter from Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I get these things from time to time. And Wycliffe is a well known ministry, and their objective is to translate the Bible into every language. And to do it to every people group. We've had missionaries that have been connected to Wycliffe. I have had close friends who have been connected to Wycliffe translators. And as this email came across my desk and I saw it was from Wycliffe, I just just looked at the little topic, subject, and it read, Nigerian militants see Jesus. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Maybe I'll read a few lines of this and see. And so... I began to read that, and it tells you in early February of this year, of this year, a Muslim, and he's a former Muslim actually. And I don't know you, and all these different things. And I realized that my life going into a place where you're asking me to go to to talk to you people, I'm just I'm nervous. And and so finally, the caller, in order to persuade Sani, said, "Can I tell you what happened?" And and the caller said, let me just share with you, and, and he admitted that he was with the four others, leaders of a militant group that consisted of about 2,500 people. But the reason I'm calling you is because of what happened, and so I want to share this with you, so maybe if you listen to this, maybe you will meet with us. He says, we, with these four of the leaders and our 2,500 people, we were about to launch an attack on a neighboring state, when as we went down this path, we were blocked by a vision of a man in brilliant white whose feet were on the ground and his head was in the heavens. And all five leaders and many of the people in the group saw this as they were going along. And so they wondered if in some way, somehow, they maybe stumbled on a holy trail, and they thought maybe the guy in white was warning them not to go this way, but maybe to go a different way. So they went back, and the next day they planned their attack. And once again, they were confronted by this guy in white whose feet was in the ground and whose head was in the skies. They did it five more times. They were actually wanting to do this attack. He says, upon returning to the camp, the caller told him the five leaders, himself included, took their Muslim prayer rugs and separated from the camp and from each other. They said, you know, let's go pray about this. We've tried now a couple of different times to go down these paths, been blocked each time. We need to find out what's going on. And so they went into their own places where they got on a rug. They were near the bush area, and and they were each praying. And the caller told Sonny that while he was sitting alone, a man in white approached him, greeted him, and sat down next to him. Amazingly, this visitor in white told him, the caller, his own thoughts and also spoke to him from the scriptures. The caller told Sonny that this baffled him, and he asked the man in white, Who are you, and how do you know these things? And the visitor in white pulled out his hands and displayed his palms to them, and he showed him the scars in his hands, and he said, I am Jesus. I have come that you might have salvation and bring others to salvation. Well, the militant, leader fell to his knees and believed immediately. He told him that he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And and as he did that, the visitor walked away and went into the bush, and he didn't see him any longer. So he got up, this newly converted leader, and he went over to one of his closest other of the four who was on his prayer rug in order to kind of tell him what happened. And he discovered that the other four leaders had just experienced the exact same visit at the very same time. So they began to discuss what to do and a few of them had heard about this Sonny guy so they thought let's call him and maybe he can tell us more about what's happening here. And so after hearing the caller's story and discussing it then later with his wife, Sonny decided to respond to their call and to go ahead and take the risk because he still was concerned. So Sonny writes that he drove out of town where he met the caller and the guy took him by motorcycle to their camp. They arrived late at night and as they got there late at night, he went to bed. He said he could hardly sleep the whole night. And he got up the next morning He went out and here are those five and with him were the 2,500 militant men behind them. And though he's a preacher, he decided what he would do is just simply read from the Scripture because just about six years prior to that, they had translated that Bible, the New Testament, in the language of that people group. And he decided he would just read from the book of James. And so after reading about four chapters, he looked out and he saw their rapt attention and he asked them, how many would like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And all 2,500 hands went up. Well, they pressed Donnie to stay, so he stayed three more days, because they wanted, they just had so many questions, and he answered questions, but he arranged to come back about a month later. He came back about a month later, and then again, he just read from scripture. He read from John chapter one through three, and, and, and then they answered questions, and, and as the guy was driving him back, he just told Sonny, he said, I have to tell you that um, because of Jesus, a fear that I've had for all my life is gone. And Sonny had noted other kind of changes in their lives. It reminded me, when I was in Ethiopia, we went into the, the, the hinterland of Ethiopia, and we went into the bush, and I remember going into one guy's um, hut, and he was there, and they had the stove, and it was smoking all this, it was just hard to see and breathe in there, and I remember at one point, um, someone asked the man, because he was a follower of Jesus, had become a follower of Jesus a number of years ago, and, and they just asked him, what difference did Jesus make in your life? you we're way out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they're carrying spears and they've got boom boxes. I don't get how those two work. And he looked at us and he just said, and this big smile came over his face, I have peace. I thought, wow, Jesus translates into so many different places and languages and hearts. And here's this guy who tells Sonny this. He sees the changes. And now Sonny, according to the letter, is praying about how he actually disciples 2,500 militant former Muslims. Well, I read this story, and I was moved. I mean, it's kind of moving, and I, I was read by, I, I, and I had familiarity with with Nigeria, and I have friends in, in the city who are from uh, the Yoruba tribe and, and has come here, and, and so I knew something about that. But I then recalled at that time, I thought, you know, I'd like to take this letter and ask someone who is a Nigerian about this experience. And then it occurred to me, duh, we're sponsoring a... Nigerian family. We A few years ago, we had sponsored a a Muslim family. We probably had them for about a week or so, and they didn't really want our sponsorship. So we went ahead and sponsored again, and we brought an immigrant family and a family who are former Muslims who left there because of persecution. So I asked Dr. K, and I can't have Dr. K come up here because um, his family is... In his position, where if he this is, known, he could be and they could be persecuted back in Nigeria. So, in a moment, I will kind of introduce him. But I, I brought this letter and I had it given it to to um, Dr. K. And I said, Dr. K, would you read this? He came to my office this last week and he was reading it, and I was looking at his face. And as he was reading, he kind of got excited, and 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 at a certain point, when he got done with the story, and you need to understand this about Dr. K. Here's what's interesting about him. He is a a PhD in mathematical statistics. He he says exhausted, I fell asleep and I had a dream. And I can still to this day remember it vividly. It was around 5pm in the evening. My wife was still at her shop. Being a shop owner, she came home usually a little bit later at night. But in my dream, I saw someone who looked like Jesus and he said to me, he's not a follower of Jesus right now. He actually went to the northern part where he was being trained in the Muslim ways. And he says, this person appeared to me. He said, my son, I'm the savior of the world. He said, my son, I'm the savior of the world. My son, I'm the savior of the world. He said it three times with tears in his eyes. And then he added and looked at me and said, believe in me and be saved. I woke up so scared. <laughs> An hour later, my wife came home much earlier than the normal closing time, and she rushed home and said she needed, she said, we need to talk. And he told me that while she was at the shop, it was about 5 p.m., she became herself a bit tired, and she went into a kind of a dream state. And she said, I had, and he said, you had a dream? About what? And she told me, he says, exactly the same story that I had encountered now I love how Dr. K. writes this. Listen to this. We were highly amazed and flabbergasted and confused. I love that flabbergasted. I'd be, wouldn't you? And after due deliberation with my wife and consultations with other people we knew followed Jesus, they told us that God was calling us to him and that we were lucky And they further maintained that God was trying to open a new chapter in our life. And so in January 2015, without the consent of our parents, we were baptized at the Chapel of Resurrection, which is located at the University of Ibadan in Nigeria. And since that day, even in spite of great persecution, we have been worshiping in the Christian ways. I asked Dr. K and his wife if they'd just stand. We're so grateful for how God has spoken to you. Thank you. We will tell more of their story at another time. Thank you. And share even more what God did. But the truth is this, that Jesus rose from the dead and he has forgiven your sins and your faith is what makes that effective and all the promises of Jesus. It's what allows for you to experience this because Jesus still reveals himself to people today. There is no questioning that. One of the reasons when I read that letter I could understand it is because every year I go to like a vision conference and I help a ministry that is working all around the world. And one of the things they've said is that God is appearing, Jesus is appearing to more and more Muslims as they're seeking him. And he can appear to you. He can walk with you. It is simply a matter of just putting your faith and trust in him. And for some of you as I'm speaking, you've been kind of living life, but God right now is saying, I want you to trust your entire life to me. You may know me as your Savior, but I'm calling to you right now to be the leader of your life. He wants to appear to you and walk with you. And for some of you, you may need to do more work and check this out and still kind of figure out whether this is true. But for some of you, you know the Spirit of God is just knocking at your heart right now. And He's asking you to invite Him into your life. Because He wants to be with you now and forever. And I just want to give you this moment to, to just invite Him into your heart into your life. Would you just bow with me? If you're saying, Jesus, I know you've forgiven me, but I'm going to invite you right now to lead my life because I haven't allowed you to do that. And the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart. And if you're in that situation where you've never opened your heart and received the forgiveness of God, it's not according to what you do, but just by faith, through his grace. You just say, I want Jesus. I, I I, ask you and receive your forgiveness, and I choose to follow you with my life and trust you. If that's your heart's desire, just tell him that right now. Make that commitment to him. And then I encourage you to tell someone else. Let them know that you made this commitment. If you're brave enough right now, just slip your hand up. Just tell them, yes, yes. Say, this is what I want to do. Father, thank you. We come, Jesus, to worship you in Christ's name. Amen.